And now, streaming live from Chicago, Illinois, it's the comedy show with a podcasting habit, Starlight Radio Dreams! Tonight's episode is Season 5, Episode 7, The Lusty, Musty, Crusty, Thrusty Month of May, featuring Uppington Parish, Zoetheosis Episode 3, St. Spoip's Day, Butterfly Kisses, Writer's Blockade, Meet the Frankensteins, Episode 2, Making Something of Yourself, and Maypole Day. Now, here is your host, a man so loquacious he puts the said in sedentary living, Merlington Showtime! <laughs> Wonderful! Hello, everyone! Welcome, welcome, welcome! I hope you are having a wonderful evening. I know I am certainly thrilled to be back in front of the camera again for this incredible presentation. We have so much material that, once again, I can't get a word in edgewise, so I have to hop straight into telling you all of the things that I want to tell you quickly so that they won't cut off the cameras! You see, the thing is, I've heard that they changed online dating again. Of course, as a married man, I have nothing from personal experience to say on the topic, and if I did, I wouldn't. That said, summer has always been the season for amorous flings, and it may surprise some of you to learn that I was a real lady killer back in the day, which is different from a lady murderer. That's the kind of mistake that gets you infamous instead of famous. So, take it from someone who has stayed on this side of the law that the biggest antagonist in your dating life is often yourself. Speaking of enthusiastic self-sabotage, this month we're celebrating the 10th anniversary of Devin's video, How to Get Into My Pants, which is what launched her YouTube career. It's pretty exciting to mark how her career has progressed from that point. This pandemic has also given her the perfect opportunity for an update as we all slowly emerge from our cocoons and the sleepy pants that we've adopted. The anniversary video is therefore titled, How to Get Into Your Own Pants. It's very informative and disconcertingly well-researched. Tonight, we would like to, as a public service and tie-in to Devon's anniversary, offer you reminders of regular social scenarios as it was in the before times. Oh, the cue card just says, give examples. It would appear that the writing staff have painted me, have painted me into their own corner. Not to worry, Burlington Showtime has been navigating social situations since before there were movies to talk about. I'll be sure to give you some wonderful examples of real-life social situations as the show continues. This first serial, however, before we move on to that, we're going to hear for our first serial, which comes to us from our friends in public broadcasting, which is American for things the BBC showed last month. We're going to be on the cutting edge of British productions about Britishness, including close examinations without explicit conclusions regarding the ruling classes and their entitlements. That's right, what else could it be but a promotional clip for the new season of Uppington Parish? Prepare for a return to a more elegant time with the Showtime Podcasting Network's fourth season of Uppington Parish. It is a privilege to serve at Uppington Parish and an honor to serve the Fellows family. The sets, the costumes, 
which admittedly you can't see because it's a radio show, but still, even so. Oh, what a gorgeous dress you've made, Angie. I'm sure Madame Celeste will adore it. Aye, you're too kind. Let's just sit and admire it in silence for a moment, why don't we? Well, all right. Will Julie, the idealistic chimney sweep, be able to help save the parish? I may just be an idealistic young chimney sweep, but I love this parish, and I shall do anything that I can to save it so long as it's chimney-related. Will Carl, the curmudgeonly driver, learn to respect the Fellows family? And all they do. This parish is a blight on the countryside, I say. A blight. And the Fellows family are the worst of them all. Carl, please. The Fellowses may have a little more money than us working folk, but deep down they're just the same as you and I. Isn't that right, Reginald? Well, I do beg your pardon, sir. I hadn't really considered that. I agree, Reginald. I mean, sir. One big happy family. Can Cecil the butler put a stop to Master Fellow's ruinous generosity? But Master Fellow's, your son Reginald says that if you contribute half of your tithes to the orphanage, Uppington Parish's incomes will be reduced to a mere forty million pounds a month. Can you even live on such a supply? <laughs> Sir, you truly are the best of us. I pray we may prove worthy of your sacrifice, Master Fellows. Can a noble son and a lowly chimney sweep ever find true love? I do feel for you, Reginald, I do. But if your parents were to ever find out, what would they say? <laughs> no, Reginald, no. You would lose everything if they knew. We're just too different, you and I. I'm afraid we must keep our feelings inside. No matter how I might... I might... <laughs> Oh, Reginald! Coming this autumn, prepare for a return to elegance. Let's look at this dress for a while, too. Oh, that is nice. A return to responsibility. The baby is coming, young Master Reginald. It's coming right now. <laughs> Go to her, sir. Are you a man or a beast? A return to battle. The landed gentry are a parasite sucking our country dry. Master fellows, how can you possibly defend your actions? <laughs> My God in heaven, you're right. God save the Queen! Prepare for a return. I love you, Reginald. I love you, Master Fellows. I love these dresses. I love Uppington Parish. I love our owners. <laughs> property owners, that is. The property owners we work for. Sorry if that was unclear. To Uppington Parish, season four, coming this autumn. <laughs> it does seem as though the class divide is becoming more and more pronounced in those productions. It may take an industry insider to notice it, but you can take it from me. Now, 
The writers have asked that I regale some of you, with, uh, regale you with some of the advice from my long history of interpersonal communications in the real world, specifically as regards situations you may encounter in your everyday lives. Now, I've racked my brains, and I think that one of the most challenging is, of course, the position one is put in after dining. After a long night of being charming over a fine meal, I find that the energy simply isn't there as you wait for the valet stand for your car to come round. But that is the place where you are most likely to be recognized by an erstwhile student of classic cinema or a fan of B-movies, which did make up the bulk of my mid-career. Of course, you pose for a couple photos, you do the iconic pose from the climactic battle of the Spaceman Ate My Dog, but afterwards, do you talk about it? How many questions do you answer? Are you honest about how many secret communists worked on the picture? And how do you make a graceful exit when they bring around your station wagon and all you want to do is collect your wife from inside and leave? I'm out of time, so we'll answer all those questions and more after this next short. And what a short it is. From writers, for writers, and it speaks for itself. So I will allow it to. Here is Writer's Blockade. Hello and welcome. This is Writer's Blockade. Are you a writer with too many ideas? Are you having trouble putting that pen down and getting other things done? This is the show for you. Today's episode goes out to my mystery writers. Writing an engrossing mystery story is so all-consuming that many of our number rent out vacation cabins and turn into Bigfoot for the entire writing process. Of course, this isn't sustainable for most of us who have other jobs. So if you're like me, you may have stopped going to work entirely because you've just got to murder a 19th century aristocrat today. If this is happening to you, do not worry. Writer's Blockade is here to help break you out of your self-imposed jigsaw-style trap. I'm once again meeting my guests out in the real world because screw the literati. Today's first guest is... Karn! Based upon her Barchuk's cup. Hello, Karn. Thanks for reading my story while you were waiting in line. What do you think? It's Kelly. Well... I just don't get it, you know? Look at this place was so dangerous. Why do people keep going in there? I get that the main character is an investigator, but like, do they have to keep going back in and looking at stuff? Shouldn't they just like get it? You know, like that house guy? Also, I think it should be like twice as long. I don't know enough about any of these people to care about them. Thank you so much, Kelly. Excuse me, I asked for a dopio with steamed oat milk. What is this? That really shook the bedrock of the entire story. I'm not sure if the book has any legs to stand on. Just in case, though, here's a dad from the park outside the bar chucks. Thanks for reading my story, sir. Sure. Sam! Get down from there! I will drive you to the hospital slowly if you break something on those monkey bars again! Kids, huh? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, the main character's really neat, but the sidekick guy, I'm not sure I get his whole deal. Is he supposed to be an alien or a robot or something? He's always got different information from what the investigator has. When did he have time to go get more clues? Now, I'm not going to say that having different perspectives is bad, but being whatever he is, isn't a superpower. Frankly, I don't want to know half of that stuff about him. Uh, anyway, you could cut, like, half of this thing by telling us less about their personal lives. Excuse me, my kid is crying. I've got to get some video for my Facebook. Wow, that was a bit more than I bargained for, but I bet you never want to write anything for the general public again after that. <laughs> Just to be sure, I've got a very special guest for you this episode. My absolute best friend, Frank. He's always happy to give feedback on all of my work, and let me tell you, 
He's perfect for this job. Hey, Frank. Thanks for reading my stuff and meeting me in this park. Of course. You know I love your work. This one was super neat, too. I really appreciated that you brought in so much neat stuff from that trip we took to the pottery place when the guy told us about cross-sections and the way glaze sits on the outside of porcelain. Did you base this whole story on that trip? Man, it's like I was there. So cool. I wonder if you could work in a subplot about that technique he told us about adding glass parts on. Oh, and maybe someone could break one of the pieces in the police lockup so that it gets all mixed up with the broken pieces from the crime scene, but that's how they learn that the potter has figured out how to fake the cross-hatching using magnets or something. Oh, and that's why he has that Ming vase in his apartment that doesn't fit with the rest of his life. He's trying to make fakes. Of course, then you'd have to make the museum guy the killer. That wouldn't be too hard to change, would it? Thanks, Frank. Well, I'm certainly off my groove and hopefully you are too. I guess I can go do the dishes now. This was Writer's Blockade, the only podcast out there to help you put the pen down because you've got other stuff to do. Please make sure you're subscribed and write a review somewhere, you know, once you feel safe using words to convey ideas again. Until next time, carpe diem! That's the beauty of podcasting. There's something for everyone and no niche is ever too small. That said, apparently well-known aging Hollywood star of a certain age who also hosts a podcast variety show is a niche that contains only me. So the writers have asked that I give you advice instead on things like running into a friend whose name you can't recall or making small talk on public transit. So how about all of you? Uh, do you have an everyday situation that you can either give advice or ask my advice on? Perhaps I can help with my depth of knowledge and experience. Tell us all about it in the chat. Speaking of awkward situations, ah, segue. Imagine finding yourself stranded among people who treat you like a god and whose very way of life is being endangered simply due to your presence. That one's pretty specific too. It's specific to the Lion Star Fighter Crew in our next serial from Zorthiosis. Six months have passed since the intrepid combatants of the Lion Star Fighter Crew first crash landed on a mysterious and backwater planet. The local peasantry have been volunteered to excavate for oil in a nearby mine in hopes of fueling the crew's last functional starship, so they may finally leave the planet and rejoin the intergalactic war effort. Our hero, Captain Sierra Leone, stands at the entrance to the mine, surveying her industrious domain. Where the hell is everyone? Cornelius, come in. Come in, Cornelius. Captain, is that you? Yes, it's me. The only other person on this planet with a communications device. Where are all the miners? The miners? Like the people working in the mine? Yes, obviously. Okay, I just wanted to make sure we weren't talking about children. We're not. And then I say something like, children, what children? Uh -huh. And then you say, no, the miners. And I say, right. I imagine they're with their parents, or something like that. I got it. Which admittedly might have been amusing from a distance, but would no doubt have been very frustrating for you, Captain. <laughs> yep, that sure would have been an annoying waste of time. Oh, I agree entirely, Captain. So, where are the miners? Isn't Angler in charge of them? Yeah, but she's not here either. 
there should be a bunch of peasants out here organizing the last load of oil to bring over to you. Correct, yes. We just need one last load of oil. So where is everyone? We're so close to being done. You mean done with the oil? Yes, obviously. Angler? Angler? Angler! I'm not a dog, Captain. I'm a fish. Why are you still asleep? I'm dying of hunger. I need quickly to make my soup and I can't find him. Did you know there's no microwaves on this planet? On this planet with medieval-level technology? Yes, I knew that. Did someone say something about microns? Hello? Well, it sucks. Okay, fine. And why were you sleeping under that thorn bush? Because I felt like it, Mom. What? Fine. Have you been down into the mine yet? Mom? Nah. Have you ever been down there? It's like... A really long walk. Is someone's mom here? You're supposed to be supervising the miners. Is Angler's mom here? Didn't we hire that lord guy to supervise the miners? And you're supposed to be supervising him. Doesn't that seem a little redundant? I'm the captain! Well, excuse me, captain. She does seem overly fond of vertical power structures. Good morning, Angler. Hey, dude. Cornelia says we only need one more day's delivery of crude oil. One day! Then we can finally get off this planet and stop interfering with their culture. What was that last part? Doesn't it seem a little late to worry about that? Our primary responsibility is to leave this planet's history unaffected by our presence. (laughs) Yeah, I read the manual too, Captain, but like... Some people might argue that after crashing on their planet, letting them worship us like gods, and putting them to work in literal salt mines, that maybe, kinda, partly, we sorta already affected their history... a bit. Will you just go down into the mine and see what the holdup is? Wasn't there a lord of some kind in charge of the mine? Just get in there and do your job! I am doing my job! Oh my... how do I mute this thing? I think it's the second button from the- There! Something on your mind, Captain? We're not supposed to be here. I mean, is anyone really supposed to be anywhere? Yes! I just want to get our only remaining starship fueled up so we can return to Starbase, forget this whole thing ever happened, and get back to fighting Admiral Scorpese in a clear conflict of good versus evil without any of these nuanced socio-political complications! Are you serious right now? And now, everyone's just decided to quit when we're almost done! This is for their own good! Why don't they understand that? I think Quigley said something yesterday about today being... Saint Spoip's Day? Or something like that? What the hell is Saint Spoip's Day? I'm gonna be bold and guess that it's a day celebrating somebody named Saint Spoip. Why didn't you mention this sooner? (laughs) Oh, because I didn't want to say the words Saint Spoip's Day? Wait, did you hear? What was that? An excuse for me to get out of this conversation. There! That's a lot of people. Maybe they were doing some kind of holiday celebration thing over in the village. Maybe it's a harvest festival? They got all those pitchforks and broken shovels and lit torches in the morning and oh, it's an angry Hold, comrades, hold! Forbear, you godless fiends! Rude. Where's the oil? That's sir, where's the oil to you? Hey, Quigley. Yes, my god? You're supposed to be making my soup. Did you know there are no microwaves on this planet? It's Saint Spoip's Day, my god. Stop calling me my god. It's played out. Yes, my fish. Love it. Now who the fuck is Saint Spoip? Silence, you blaspheming beast! 
So, kill them with laser swords? No laser swords. Why did I even ask? We defy you, so-called lion god, and your fish-faced consort. Oh my god, consort? Really? I'm blushing. What? Nothing, go ahead, you're very important. Where is your supervisor? Oh, what? Super... The guy in charge. Ah, you speak of the landed nobleman who tried to force us to work on St. Spoip's Day, that most holy of days. Yes. We killed him. He perished upon my blade. And mine. I got a knife. Me too. That's just a pointy stick. Yeah, but I got a knife. It was me mom's. She stabbed me dad with it. Oh, family heirloom that is. Yes, yes. I have raised this rabble to fight for all that is holy and true. Now, beast, you shall confess your foul congress with the devils of the underworld, and we shall burn you at the stake. You mean, or you'll burn us- never mind. Look, we only need one more day's worth of oil, then we're out of here! Likely story. A likely story? I just said that! Yes, but I said it louder. It's true! Cornelius? Cornelius, come in. Captain Matt! Tell them about the oil. Sorry, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Captain, I... The light is blinking, but I'm not hearing you. Just tell them about the oil. Captain, are you on mute? I am not on... Oh, I'm on mute. Cornelius, tell them. Oh. The angry mob? There's an angry mob? Just tell them that one thing you told me early this morning. Oh, okay. Don't sit on the yellow grass and you won't get that butt rash anymore. You two should really take this act on the road. Choice stuff. Enough words. The time has come for violence. Yeah. Hooray! Stab him! For sight spoip! For sight spoip! For the Gamai people! For, for the, the Gamai! Who are the Gamai people? We are! That was my first guess. Have I really been here for six months and not even asked you what you call yourselves? Looks like it! It would appear so! That's what I just said! Yes, but I said it more articulately. I just... never mind. Never mind, never mind! Yeah, that's helpful. Cornelius, tell them what you told me about the oil. Oh! About the oil? Yes! We only need one more day's worth of oil from the mine. Thank you. Then we can get out of here. Well, then we can begin the refining process. The what process? The refining process. The refining what? Shh! You told me after we got all the oil, we could leave. Well, no, I said we needed the oil, but we can't just pour the oil into the ship. We need to refine it first. You didn't know that? Yeah, did you know that? Any time you get something out of the ground, you got to refine it first. Gold, iron, your uncle's hip bone. Doesn't matter. Well, I didn't know that. Pretty basic knowledge. I thought everyone knew that. I knew that. I just didn't say anything. Are you serious? <laughs> no, I just wanted to sound smart. And how long is this refining process going to take? Well, first we have to build the refining equipment. Build the... How long? Well, uh, if it's... Uh, you need to carry the... How long? Six more months. Six more months? Six more months? 
six more months. Sorry, I just wanted to be a part of things. I and my unwashed mass of barbarous peasants will not stand for this blasphemy. Do you really have to call us unwashed barbarous peasants? It's a little upsetting. Use it. Maybe we should just give them what they want? I am trying to get out of here as soon as possible. This is for their own good. Their own good is best served by devotion to Saint Spoip. No offense, sir, whatever, but I think I know a little more about this situation than you do. You dare. I was educated at the monastery of St. Bootenberry on Slippery Doo, you unconscionable cur that is actually a cat. I put down the rebellion at Dog Steeple. My uncle was killed fighting at Dog Steeple. So is me aunt. My parents too. I was counsellor to Queen Ermengarde the Great and King Pladengarde the Adequate. Didn't he burn down the church at Crookford upon Weasel? Me mum was in that church. And me dog Pongo. He was very religious. I captured and executed the outlaw Robin Pud, who robbed the royal coffers. I liked Robin Pud. And you would dare condescend to me, the divinely chosen leader of this filthy gang of slack-jawed, inbred, illiterate caitiff clowns? Dude, read the room. Sir Masterby, can we speak a moment? Not now, peasant. Um, excuse me, did that peasant just call you Sir Masterby? Isn't that a little on the nose? Enough. Look, you're just gonna have to trust that I know what's best for these people. Well, I say I know what's best for these people, and clearly we can't both be right. Fuck's sake, maybe you're both wrong. You can't read someone's mind in what other possible way is there to just magically know what's best for someone. Excuse me, Mifish. Like, you're both really good at murdering people, I'm sure, but what's that got to do with, like, ruling a kingdom or whatever? Beg pardon? So unless one of you has some kind of psychic power that I don't know about, I think maybe we can't just somehow know what's best for someone. Pardon, my god. Oh my god, stop calling me that quickly. God, don't you ever listen. Yes, my fish. So be it. Then, like every conflict before this, let our philosophical disagreement be arbitrated by the sword. Oh, bro, you don't want that. I don't want to hurt you. That's a lot nicer than me knife. No, no, your knife's good. Yeah, it's a cool knife. Slay, girl. Yeah, slay, girl. Slay. You dare to call yourself a god. I never called myself a god. Except after you murdered Lambda with your laser sword. I didn't murder. Or when you ordered all the peasants to mine for oil. You're supposed to be on mute. And yet you insist on yoking these poor, innocent bumpkins against their will. That's not really necessary. These ignorant, child-minded simpletons will no longer suffer your blasphemies. I'd really appreciate it if you could... So long as Sir Masterby breathes, these dog-faced, dull-witted, damp-nosed dingleberries shall have a champion that... <laughs> Well, you slew, girl. Yeah. Cool. Quigley, heat up my soup. It's Saint Spoip's Day! Really? I hadn't heard. We don't labor on Saint Spoip's Day. Okay, but at what cost? Do you want me to eat cold soup? All right. The Lion God decrees that today there will be no labor. Hooray! Yay! But just remember, clearly, this guy does not have your best interest in mind, okay? So just 
do like we ask, and before you know it, we'll be out of here, and we will return to normalcy. All right, fine. All right. Happy Saint Spoips Day. Spoips blessing. You are truly a woman of the people, Captain. Well, it's just one day. And what does that matter if we're stuck here for another six months? Let's go see if Cornelius has a blueprint for that oil refinery we get to build next. Yeah, I'll be there as soon as I figure out how to make fire. I can't believe we're going to be stuck here doing nothing for a whole year. Just because of some simple miscommunication. We almost died. Yeah, almost. Long as there's no consequences for us, I say all's well that whatever. All's well that whatever! Truly inspiring stuff! Tune in next time for another exciting adventure in ad hoc administration with the Lion Star Fighter Crew! <laughs> no consequences means you're doing well, right? That's certainly what Missy O'Danaher has on a banner above her office door. Ah, oh, offices. We don't have we don't have time for all of that. It might be best to abolish offices altogether so that none of us ever need to relearn the etiquette of what is acceptable to microwave in the break room and the sliding scale of post-it noteworthy offenses. Now, this is where normally I would talk about all of the uh, issues that you've uh, brought up in the chat, but uh, it seems like you're all terribly well-adjusted people. So uh, the rest of the uh, examples I'm going to give are primarily for our writing staff, uh, since they seem to need it. But uh, I, I hope that it will be of use to some of you as well. And in a fantastic bit of luck, we've been given some incredible material uh, for our next piece. This comes from... Cultural Approbation, an incredible undertaking from the very same high-minded, carefully crafted, and artfully trained minds that brought us such avant-garde podcasts as Monet Problems, uh, Pre-Raphaelite Dance, the podcast, and Silent Mozart. In this new series, the producers have opted to return to theatrical endeavors, which makes a bit more sense given the medium. This first episode comes from Cassandra Rose, an incredible writer whose work is new to the show. While you're hearing from her today for the first time, be assured it will not be the last as you enjoy Butterfly Kisses. It's here! The FedEx shipment is here! Marco, guess what I got? A life? You're such a kidder, my butterfly buddy. It's something even better. I got you a new best friend. Gerald, you shouldn't have. You see, I was thinking about it, and if you're going to have a monarch butterfly as part of your collection, then you really need to have two. My king, might I introduce you to your queen? It's a little monarch butterfly humor for you. King and queen, monarchy. Yeah, you'll laugh over it later. I wonder what... Two butterflies like you would even talk about anyway. Well, hello, gorgeous. Hello. My name's Marco. What's yours? Louise. Come here often, Louise. Nope. I don't even think I know where here is. Honest. I like that. 
Where have you been all my life? All your life? Oh, that's a big question. I guess my answer is that it depends. What do you mean? Well, if you had asked me what I had been up to for the past week of your life, I think I could tell you that relatively well. But if you asked for something longer ago than that, that's when things start to get fuzzy for me. I'd also need to know how old you are. And then someone would have to explain the concept of time to me. Yes, the concept of time. So tricky. Isn't it? Especially when you're dead. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have. What? Reminded me that we're dead butterflies? It's fine. I'm fine. It's easier, I think. Being dead. In life, it was just so constant, wasn't it? Flat, flat, flower, flat, flat, butterflower, flat, 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 butterfly net. Right? Butterfly nets are the worst. There aren't any butterfly nets here, are there? Nope. Gerald has a horrible hand-eye coordination. Who's Gerald? The big fleshy one with the magnifying glass. Oh, I thought for a moment that you were Gerald. Nope. I'm Marco. Of course you are. Sorry, my brain is so tiny it gets a little mixed up sometimes. Hey, we've all got small brains. But I have to say, your brain is exceptionally cute. Stop it. You're going to make me blush. Can butterflies blush? We'll find out soon enough. Ah! What is it? He's sticking pins in me. Yeah, he likes doing that. Why? Just to keep you in place. It's a way of making sure you stay just as you are right now. Well, I wish he'd stop. Does it hurt? Nothing hurts when you're dead, but it feels different. I don't like it. Neither do I. You have pins in you as well? I do, yes. For how long? Well, ever since... Huh. I don't know. Oh! The concept of time! What about it? That's what we were talking about before. Were we? I heard once that most monarch butterflies live only two to six weeks, but then there are these other monarch butterflies that live for up to six months. They're only born once every three generations. And this third generation migrates all the way down to Mexico to meet up with all the other third generation butterflies. Have you heard of this before? I had. Yes. If there's one thing I regret about being dead now, it's that I never got to find out if I was one of those migration butterflies destined for Mexico. Hey, Louise, guess what? What? I went to Mexico. Really? That's amazing. Wow, a real monarch butterfly from Mexico. What's Mexico like, Marco? Oh, you know, like other places, except warmer. Great. Now tell me more. Well, there's this big mountain, right? And all the monarch butterflies go there. I don't know how they know where the place is, they just do. So you get there, and there are just millions of wings batting around. When it's nighttime, they cover the trees like a second pair of leaves. And everybody is together, and nobody feels lonely. Not ever again. I wish I could have made the migration. It sounds so wonderful. Even the word migration is wonderful. Try it. Try what? Say migration. Um, okay. Migration. 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 Oh, migration. 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 Oh God, Louise! I lied.
didn't migrate. And I've never been to Mexico. Never? No. I spent my life in a backyard in Sheboygan until a kid put me inside a jar and forgot to put holes in the top. That kid happened to be Gerald's nephew, and now here I am. Gerald? The big fleshy one currently sticking pins in you. Right. Yes, I remember now. I never meant for the lie to go as far as it did. I just wanted to impress you. I'd understand if you could never forgive me. But never feels like a very long time without your smile. I mean, if butterflies could understand the concept of time, that is. I still think you're wonderful. You do? Yeah. I can't imagine anyone I'd rather spend the rest of my death with. I love you, Louise. I love you too. <laughs> oh, I wish I could embrace you, darling, but I can't quite reach you. It's okay, Louise. No, it's not. You deserve so much more than what I can give you. But you've already given me so much. Besides, this is just an imagined conversation that Gerald made up. What? This is just an imagined conversation that I made up. There you go. Together forever. What a charming and sweet piece of audio theatre. How fortunate that we have more to come from that same writer. It also segues, oddly, into the next everyday embarrassment that I have to share with you. This one will feel especially foreign after our years of Zooming. After you've finally said goodbye, which is its own extended production in this part of the world, but you find that you and the person that you've just said goodbye to are walking the same direction. That's right, it's coming for you, this situation. It's very real and you may not remember, but it happened to us all. This is one that challenges a lot of people and understandably so. You've just successfully ended a conversation. If we're honest, sticking that landing is hard enough. So now you're either a little mortified about how you said goodbye or how non-committal you were about the next time you gather. So now you're about to undo all of that hard work and run the risk of needing to repeat the whole process a second time, which will not give you a higher chance of its success, I assure you. If you find yourself in this situation, it is essential that you remember the most important thing is do not engage. I don't care if you love this person like a celebrity or if you just uh, if you did just think of another thing you'd meant to say turn quickly the other way pat your pocket suggest you've left your keys circle around the block feign your own death call it a hit on yourself whatever must be done that conversation is over and only you have the power to be sure that it stays that way after all your friend may not listen to this show if that's so, please make sure to slide it into the earlier part of the conversation before this all happens. But once it's happened, I don't care. Don't even, don't even, don't even turn back to tell them about this show and how we talked about ways to deal with this situation. That's, that's not good. No, that's only going to make it worse. We'd love to have them uh, listening to the show. But in that scenario, you're in danger. Never forget it.
Speaking of learning our ways through a, learning our ways through a complicated landscape of per personal connections, let's return to a modest apartment above a bustling barbecue restaurant where two monsters have taken up residence. That's right, we have a fresh episode for you of Meet the Frankensteins. Theo and Shelley are just two animated corpses in the big city. They may be products of 19th century medicine and technology, but they still manage to find an apartment and make friends with the neighbors. As they tackle more and more of modern life, it's probably time for everyone to meet the Frankensteins. Shelly, do you know how the new iron works? I can figure it out. Hmm. It's been plugged in for a while now, but it doesn't look any different. Maybe I need to put it on the stove like Dad's old iron one. No, then plastic will melt for sure. Ugh, why couldn't you buy anything modern, Dr. Frankenstein? This is the part that I need to get hot. Maybe it comes off. <gasps> <gasps> and why does it smell like bacon in here? I'm the victim of dramatic irony. <laughs> oh, Theo, did you burn yourself on the new iron? Yeah. Well, go in the bathroom and run the burn under some water. Good idea. That seems to be what most of my brains think you should do. Dad, why didn't you trust electricity in your appliances? You trusted it to raise your children. Just keep doing that until it stops hurting, I guess. I guess none of my brains belong to doctors. I'll look it up on the internet. Hello, Dowager. Dad may have been a Luddite, but at least the one computer he owned was made to last. Let's see, just go through the boot sequence, command prompt, Frankenstein.gold. We've got another stumper, old girl. Let's ask Mr. Google, what do you do when you touch something too hot? Hmm. It says here you should run it underwater for 15 minutes and take off any clothing. Oh, only that might constrict the burn. Well, I'll keep that bit to myself. Take off my clothes? That's what it says! <laughs> so, Dowager, what else does the internet have for me today? An electronic message from Ava down the hall. Can I come over to tell you about a job opening at my company? Why, yes, yes you can, Ava. Oh, right now? Well, that's great. She must be very excited. Ava, hi. Shelly. Wow. The smell of barbecue is so much stronger in your place. Good old Harry downstairs. He's keeping us hungry, all right. Well, anyway, are you ready for the most perfect opportunity? I hope so. 
Do I get to know more? Of course. My company needs someone to help resurrect some computers to run some super old programs we used to rely on. I guess we didn't have backups, and now, well... I don't know what the bad stuff is, but if we don't have a computer, an operator who can work in eldritch computer languages, then the bad stuff happens. Since you've managed to keep that ancient beast alive and connected to the internet... What, the Dowager? You call your Capro 2 the Dowager? Yeah, you know, like an old, majestic family matriarch. Like in Downton Abbey? Probably. I've never been. <laughs> the Dowager taught me everything I know about computers. Then you're going to be perfect. Do you want to come into my office and show my boss the K-Pro? Do you think that's all it will take? I don't really have any professional experience. I've never even written a resume. In my department, you'll be fine. Plus, Lily's amazing with resumes. We can get you figured out. That's... I'm... You! Are you okay? Is it the iron? That thing is a menace. Theo, Theo, I'm fine. Well, hello, Theo. <gasps> Ava! I'm so sorry I burned my hand and I didn't know you were here. You burned yourself? And that's why you're naked? <laughs> you know, if you burn yourself, you're supposed to remove your clothing. In case of swelling. That's true. Good thinking. That's a great tea towel, too. I love the embroidery. Maybe it could be a little longer. <laughs> ah, thank you. Uh, my dad picked it out for us. I just bet he did. Maybe you should go put on a robe. Great idea. I'm so sorry for that. I can explain. You see, he had an accident. So he's got some scars. Who doesn't? Most of mine are metaphorical, but, you know. You're not freaked out? More about how much you seem to think I should be freaked out. Look, I'll just show myself out and you can take care of that burn. Thank you, Ava. <laughs> I'll grab Lily and come back in a little while. She can help us whip up a resume for you. That would be amazing. Great. I'll be back soon. Shelly, I don't know what I was doing in there. I don't own a robe. Pants are probably fine for now, but maybe I can buy you one because Ava might be able to get me a job. A job? That's amazing. Yeah. I hope I'm good for it. I'm sure you will be. Theo, you don't even know what the job is. You've got something no one else in the job market does. The brains of several people combined to make one functional cerebellum? <laughs> That's... Better than what I was going to say. We do have all kinds of skills we don't even know about, and we learn really quickly. Have you thought any more about what you'd like to do? I was thinking about sewing. That's a great idea. You do love good, neat seams. Dad, let me do some of yours, you know. Torso to hips, one of my best. Is that why you were trying to figure out the iron? I almost had it down, too. You know which part is hot now. <laughs> I think I might have a dressmaker's brain. There are all these little memories in there about hooks and eyes, princess seams and pocket linings. If you know how to make dresses with pockets, then it stops being a job and becomes a moral imperative. Dang, I was looking for a job. 
well, you've still got plenty of time before you need a job. We may not need money for a while, but I do feel like we need jobs. That is what normal people do, isn't it? It must be, right? It's how the humans identify themselves. I'm Susan the Butcher, or I'm Pat the Baker. It'll certainly sound better than, Hi, I'm Shelly, I'm a monster. <laughs> well, what do you get to say instead? Introduce your new self. Hi, I'm Shelly, I'm a computer engineer. What does that mean? I guess Ava's company needs something like the Dowager. It's just an old computer. Don't lots of people have computers now? I think she's impressed because it's 40 years old. I did have to put it back together using those old diagrams. That wasn't easy. Are you going to be okay going into an office? Oh, I didn't even think about that. There are going to be so many people in there. Oh, Theo, maybe I can't do this. They're not going to want a monster working in their computer room. Ah, but you won't be a monster. You'll be a computer engineer. I guess that's true. But we're not so different from the humans. We're made of the same stuff. They don't sense things the way we do, Theo. We feel everything like a raw nerve all the time. We can feel currents of air and electricity that they can't. We can smell more acutely. Speaking of, that barbecue. Focus. I can't, Shelly. I'm not like you. Dressmaker is a much more straightforward purpose than whatever I've got. Well, you got more choices. Dad gave you all the best brains he could find. People with degrees and stuff. I may have all the top shelf brains, but I'm still just a person. I've got to figure out what purpose that gives me. Do we have a purpose? And how can I make it eating barbecue? <laughs> Who picks a purpose? Dad's purpose for making me was to prove he could. So, just existing? What was Dad's purpose? Pissing off an entire village at the same time? Defying nature? Twice? <laughs> Who could that be? You guess. I'll answer the door. Hey there, computer genius. Is everyone decent? Other than in the eyes of the church. <laughs> also, yes, I'm wearing pants. That's better than I do some days. Thank you, Lily. So, word around the... down the hall is that you need a resume. Along with a sense of purpose and someone to explain bra sizing. <laughs> That's not a bad place to start. Well, B-cups are like a lemon. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Silly comments are all I can offer to the resume process. I did mean the statement of purpose. What do you want from this job? I didn't even know about this job half an hour ago. Okay, so what do you need? A place to live. People who treat us nicely. Up to now, getting here was all the drive we had. I didn't think we'd make it. Less of a drive and more of a bike ride. But you made it. What do you think my drive should be? I don't think I can tell you what to want, Shelley. Well, what did you want in a job, Lily? Joy? I needed work to be fun. Otherwise, I would just spend the whole time wishing I was back home making stuff. What about you, Ava? I really like solving problems in code. So, going to work is fun for me. None of that sounds like me. I just want to do stuff until I figure out what I want. Can I say that on my resume? That you want to experience stuff? Yeah. Really? Sure. 
It's not as though everyone has some grand, predestined purpose behind their lives. Of course! What a romantic notion! <laughs> Let's do special skills next. Oh, uh, show them that flippy water bottle thing you can do. That's not really... Hold on. Resumes are made up and all about search words. Mine looks like a Mad Libs. I just took all the keywords and turned them into a paragraph. The best line is, Legal database analytics and metrics engagement focused on distribution to vendors accounting with coaching on regulations and testing. I don't know what it means, but no interviewer has ever questioned it. <laughs> did you figure out this water bottle thing on your own? I did. Creative problem solver. <laughs> Resourceful. Fun. Oh, here, turn on my phone. Experience with mobile. <laughs> Your talking is... Communication skills. <laughs> These are good. How long have you been working with computers? A couple of months. You learned how to resurrect that relic and custom code it in a couple months? Yes? We've got to put that in there. Where did you go to school? We were raised in Transylvania. I have fond memories of a university there. I remember parts of my freshman year, too. <laughs> Great. Which school? It's hard to spell. I'll write it down. I'll leave you a spot for it. A European educated computer savant looking for experience. I pop that into a template I like, so the hard part is done. Didn't I tell you that Lily's the best? You sure did. Now, what can you tell me about irons? <laughs> How will Theo and Shelley discover their passions? Will they find a place to belong in the modern world, or have they already got one? Find out next time as we continue to meet the Frankensteins. Actual living monsters lurching among us! Who would have thought? Though, now that I say it, I am reminded of every trip I've ever made to the grocers. There's an ev oh, there's an everyday social situation for you, waiting in line at the checkout. You see the person ahead of you has filled their cart to the brim, and normally this would be acceptable, but this is the express lane. Clearly the person aware ahead of you hasn't read the sign. So. You cleared your throat in hopes to attract their attention. They remain willfully unaware of you. Slowly it dawns on you that this person is fully aware of the regulations of the express lane, and they are simply flouting those rules in the face of everyone in line. Nay, the store. Nay, the world. This person is a rebel. But then you remember that rebels are cool. You're hit by another actualization, a realization. You're about to be the rule-following square right after this intimidatingly cool presence. Stop. Take a breath. You can get through this. Just hip-check the candy rack as you go by and knock as much into your cart as you possibly can. Problem solved. You are welcome. And you know what's just as delicious as a shopping cart full of assorted candy bars? 
our patrons, Patreon backers. They've absolutely been here for us all throughout this time in our isolation, and we are so honored to have such support behind us. It helps us keep the lights on, keep the, the dreams coming, and uh, we really, really want to thank you with from the bottom of all of our hearts, bottoms, bottoms of all of our hearts, uh, for being there for us and for supporting the show. We hope that you are enjoying your Patreon uh, backer rewards, including free admission to this show, and we've got some cool merch headed your way in the near future. But sadly, I must follow that by giving you some very sad news. We are about to hear our last short for the evening. Luckily, it's a real humdinger, so get your dingers ready and hum your way into Maypole Day! Good morrow, I'm Sir Diddless of Cranberry. And I am the Lady Constance Marzipan. And this is Good Morrow Shorewood. And it's quite a good morrow today, Nespa, Lady Constance. I have told you before, Sir Diddless, I will not suffer the French tongue in my presence. <laughs> I'm terribly sorry, my lady. I suffered the French tongue from my first and fourth husbands. I shall not tolerate it in my servants. Of course, my lady. My first husband, Lord Carl Goodenplenty, was passably skilled at the French tongue and more than once regaled my chambers with his forceful trills and wet R's. Yes. Yes, my lady. Yet by the time our second son was born, he seemed so disinterested in his lingual education that his trills had become thoroughly uninspired and his R's drier than Martin Luther's phraseology. Yes, my lady. As for my fourth husband, the Vicomte Reginald Poisonroy, despite boasting of an overwhelmingly French pedigree, proved utterly underwhelming in his experience, let alone mastery, of the lingua franca, if you will. Yes, my lady. Meaning the tongue. Of course, my lady. The French tongue. I gathered, my lady. So I shall thank you to refrain from your cross-channel confabulations here on Good Morrow Sherwood. Yes, my lady. You are a knight, sir, employed for the execution of my enemies via the sword, not via the expectoratic acrobatics of utterly estuarine romanticism. Yes, my I intend we shall keep things thoroughly English, thoroughly dry, and thoroughly thorough. Yes, my lady. Now, do you go on with whatever it was you were saying? Ahem, <clears throat> yes, well, tis May Day here in Shorewood, a day when noblemen and commoner alike can congregate to celebrate the coming of springtime with charming, innocent displays of song, dance, and frolic. Quite. My fifth and current husband, Lord Hubris Shrinklebanks, has generously donated these blue and pink maypoles for maying. The pink maypoles, of course, being designated, as one might expect, for ladies of the noble class. And the blue ones for the filthy poors. <laughs> for, uh, the Commonwealth, yes. Separate, but, well, they're both there anyway. And I think we can all agree that with all the unrest and unpleasantness we face in our modern lives, it is nice and necessary that a day be set aside for the simple pleasures. Quite, quite. Tell them about our guest, Sir Diddleis. Of course, my lady. Our guest this morning is Tom Chandler, a Chandler, if you can believe it, from Wheaton upon Wool, whose staff kindly volunteered their labour to erect the maples we are enjoying today. Volunteered, remember? You shan't see a red cent from Lord Hubris Shanklebanks. 
Yes, quite right, milady. Now, as you may have heard, some of our more underserved neighborhoods have been suffering from a little bit of the P-L-A-G-U-E. The poor neighborhoods. Quite right. As such, certain precautions have been dictated when it comes to speaking with new people. Foolish precautions. Everyone knows rich people don't get sick. Only the lazy and uneducated get sick. <laughs> yes, quite right. So, sadly, we cannot have Tom Chandler beside us today. However, he will be speaking with us, nonetheless, thanks to the latest in shouting technology. Good morrow, Tom. Hello. I say, how are you finding this fine May day? Oh, it's delightful, isn't it? All the people from all walks of life getting together for a little innocent fun. Wholesome, isn't it? Tell us, how did you manage to set up the Maples, what with the newest guidelines and all that? Oh, it was easy, wasn't it? They was all volunteers, you know? Just want to get the job done, right? Everyone wants to help out the nobles. To help out the people, I mean. Is that a bruise on your face, peasant? No, no, it must be... must be a shadow. Of course, a shadow on this bright, cloudless May morning. I know a black eye when I see one, peasant. And despite the nomenclature, that bruise is bluer than the blood of Cour de Leon. How dare you appear such in my presence? Well... I had a bit of blowback from some of the volunteers, isn't it, Mum? I assure you, Mum is not the word with me, peasant. Sir Didalis, what sort of guest is this you've brought me? Hardly the creme de la creme, would you say? Yes, milady. I don't recall granting you can't blanche to drag in whatever riffraff you please. Oi! This is supposed to be good PR for Tom's chandlery. Yes, forgive me, milady, but uh, Tom has agreed to set up the Maples uh, gratis in exchange for a little positive mention on Good Morrow Sherwood. I've warned you about that French tongue, Sir Didalis. I believe gratis is Latin, milady. Well, it is all French to me, sir. And I promise you shall neither please me nor grease any proverbial wheels with your French tonguing. Of course, milady. No. Kindly excuse this poor person and we shall forget your faux pas and return to watching these neatly separated peoples move in circular patterns about colour-coded poles in what is a thoroughly apolitical environment. I'm owed some advertisement. I can't hardly keep my business open with this plague about. Nobody wants to work anymore. They just whine that I don't pay enough and I force them to work for free or they don't want to die of plague just for a crust of bread. I need more business and I'm owed some good PR. You're owed nothing, peasant. Nothing is free in life. Set my bloody maypoles, apparently. How dare you? Sir Didalus, execute this peasant at once. Milady, I... Too sweet, Sir Didalus. That means now. Of course, milady. Oi, wait, what's all this about? I'm terribly sorry. Get away from me. Get away. W what about the plague guidelines? Yes, I'm terribly, terribly sorry. I just wanted more business. And now you're going to kill me? True. But to be fair, I am terribly, terribly, terribly sorry. Hmm. Yes. You there, boy, clean that up. Right away, my lord. Oh, 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 my lord. I am just a humble knight, a working man like you. Cry. Anyway, where were we? The maypole, Sir Didalus. Ah, yes, Tom. How did... Oh, he's dead, isn't he? <laughs> well, the, um... The maypoles look nice. They are par excellence, Sir Didalus. Yes, well, 
Until next time, I'm Sir Diddless of Cranberry. And I am the Lady Constance Marzipan. And this has been Good Morrow Sherwood. What a wonderful installment from our friends across the pond. I want to thank you all now for joining us this month, and I hope that I will see you again in the chat next month, when we will have a whole raft of new content to present once again. I will also thank all of you for sharing with me some of the awkward situations and odd happenings of your lives, even if you only did it telepathically. It makes the world feel a little it makes the world feel a little more connected and a whole to know that you all share some of the same challenges that I do now that I've told you about them I hope that you will uh, find those situations in your own lives because it does feel very lonely being me the hero of your cinephile grandparents but so with that from all of us to all of you from coast to coast and all the ships at sea, keep laughing and keep dreaming. Thank you for joining us for Starlight Radio Dreams, the lusty, musty, crusty, thrusty month of May. Written, directed, and performed by Kat Evans, Jerry McDerris, and Ansel Birch, with special guest writer Cassandra Rose. Featuring the vocal talents of Kim Fukawa and Lisa Burton. The Starlight Radio Dreams theme was written and performed by Arnie Parent. Special thanks to Shure Incorporated for their generous support. Join us in September for another full show of gaffs, goofs, and spoops. Our next live stream, SR Demonology, Comedy Tales from Beyond the Pale, is coming up on Friday, September 24. So get your tickets now at starlightradiodreams.com. Until then, keep laughing and keep dreaming.